0: Hey everyone, my name is Kyle and I'm married to Michelle and for the better part of a decade, we were part of Common Ground uh, Bosch PM and then about two years ago, Paul and Leanne, who lead our inner city congregation, uh, invited us to come over and join them as part of the leadership team there. And so we spent a few months praying and processing. And then at the beginning of last year, 2019, uh, we moved across and we've been there ever since. And we're both more or less predominantly based in the Seapoint the Evening congregation. But Mish also gives leadership uh, to the, the Kids Rock team and Greenpoint AM. And we also now have a three-month-old son called Harrison who is uh, keeping us very busy during lockdown, but um, he, he's a wonderful digs mate for us. Uh, he, besides the moments where he screams and performs to the point where we're unable to take that small three-hour gap in the morning to get outside and get fresh air. Otherwise, he's a fantastic companion and we're loving being with him. But for the last three weeks as Common Ground, we've been in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we've looked at the themes of comfort, hope and certainty and today we're going to dive back into the gospel of Mark which uh, we were going through up until Easter and we're going to pick up from where we left off and I'm very aware that there might be uh, several of you who are watching today joining with us here who might not consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're exploring the things of faith, maybe you're investigating the person of Jesus and I just want to say to you, you are so welcome And I really do think that Jesus in today's passage has uh, stuff for you. He's got stuff for you to think about, stuff for you to consider, uh, maybe even decisions that you might need to make. And so I just want to invite you in. Uh, I want you to feel welcome and part of the journey. And so let me catch us all up very briefly on the story so far in Mark and where we've been. Uh, Jesus' ministry has been growing. Um, There's been uh, extreme increasing popularity on the one hand. Uh, People are flocking to him because of his teaching, mostly because of his miraculous activity. And on the the other hand, there's there's definitely a rising opposition. And so the the scribes and the Pharisees, who are some of the religious leaders of the day, are are really getting a bit hacked off with Jesus. They think that he's a bit of a false prophet prophet, that he's a blasphemer, he's undermining them particularly. Uh, Jesus is certainly getting in their face and calling them out on their hypocrisy and things like that. And so uh, that, that opposition has risen to the point where the Pharisees decided that they want to get rid of Jesus. So the last line that we would have read in Mark last time, Mark writes this, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And what I find fascinating is these are the people who were so committed to the rules that they got so hacked off with Jesus that he was um, crushing some grains of wheat in his hand on the Sabbath. And these same people are now about to dramatically break the rules in order to kill Jesus because they, they don't like him. And what's gonna happen now over the next few uh, chapters of Mark is Mark's gonna draw on all these themes and try and pull them together and paint for us a sort of portrait of all the responses that are happening towards Jesus at this time. And today we're just gonna look at the first two scenes uh, from Mark chapter three, verses seven to 19. And it's two back-to-back stories that we're gonna break up under three headings. We're gonna look at it under the, the, the crowds around Jesus, the call from Jesus, and the close community of Jesus. So let's dive right in. The crowds around Jesus, verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had had healed many so that now all who had diseases pressed in around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So crowds, crowds right now might not be something that many of us are familiar with because of coronavirus. I'm sure many of us have probably forgotten the experience of of being in a crowd, but we need to get into the story here as Mark would have us. And so I want us to get into the shoes of Mark's audience and and just get the feeling of what a crowd was like. And so what I want you to do here is is to picture Jesus like a, a pop star on tour. Okay, so imagine though the crowds and the fans of the Beatles or Michael Jackson or Justin Bieber or Billy Eilish. I know we've got a, a very diverse audience, and so pick your sort of generational icon now and just picture the crowds going crazy. Okay, there was pandemonium, there was a buzz, there was hysteria. Jesus is making a massive impact. in in his day. He would have been very hard to avoid. He would have been very hard to ignore. He would have had uh, his face on billboards. He would have been trending on Twitter. And and, and his reach is actually is huge. Okay, the towns that are mentioned here in the passage are are from the far uh, northwest. They're from the east beyond the Jordan and they're from the very, very deep south. So Jesus is drawing a crowd of, of Jews from all these areas and also possibly drawing a crowd of Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon, and these guys wouldn't even have believed in the God of Israel, and yet they've, they've come to hear Jesus and see Jesus. And so the crowds are flocking, and they're primarily flocking for the miracles of Jesus, not so much for, for his message. Okay, so it's the healings, it's the exorcisms, it's these types of things, the things that he was doing, Mark says, that have drawn the attention of the crowd, not so much the things he was saying. And we've already seen this happening back in in Mark chapter one. You might remember that uh, the crowds there were were coming to Jesus and he was casting out demons and healing people. And he he went to get away from the crowds. He withdrew by himself and his disciples eventually come to him and they say to him, hey, Jesus, everyone is still looking for you. And Jesus responds and he just says to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach also there because that is why I came out. And what was the message that that Jesus was preaching? Well, Mark told us in chapter one, the message was this, repent and believe the good news. That was the message of Jesus. And you see Jesus' audience in that, in that day, they would have understood and they would have believed that all people are sinners. And what that means is that all people have, have turned away from God. We've walked away from God. We've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. And that's created a, a rift in our relationship with God. And repent means to to change your mind, to do an about turn, to do a 180 away from um, your life rejecting God and your worldview and to turn completely around and now face Jesus and see Jesus as the, the king of the world, to see Jesus as the person who can deal with your sin and remove your sin and restore your relationship to God. And that's the message Jesus was preaching but at this point now in the story, this massive crowd is, is pushing in around him and um, they're trying to touch him. They're trying to get healed from, from various diseases. And, and Jesus is basically on the verge of getting crushed. And crushed. And so he's got his disciples to have a boat ready on standby, just in case the crowd almost stampede him and they'll be able to get away onto the lake and escape. It's a very, very precarious situation. It's, it's actually very dangerous. And how often today do, do people still come to Jesus primarily because of what they can, they can get from him for themselves? And it, it's often physical things. And even us as, as Christ followers often from, from time to time can, can treat Jesus in the, in the same way that the crowds treat him here. Okay, we can almost treat Jesus like a, a piñata, one of those papier-mâché uh, things that you get at Mexican parties that hang from the ceiling. And, and you know, you'll know you be blindfolded. But if you can just get into the proximity of this thing and, and beat it with your stick, all the goodies are gonna come out and you're gonna be able to get everything that your heart desires. Sometimes we treat Jesus like that. And I don't want you to mishear me here. Jesus is, is a very generous person. He's an outgiving person. He's a giving person. And certainly we can go to Jesus. We can ask him for things almost as often as we want. So I'm not saying that at all. But what's, what I think is crazy to me in this story is that, In the previous story, the religious leaders had gathered to plot to kill Jesus. But in this story, the crowds nearly do kill Jesus in a stampede as they try to take things from him, as they try to get the blessings of the kingdom from him. It's very, very interesting. They had so much more regard for themselves and their needs than they did for the person of Jesus and the safety of Jesus. They wanted the blessings of the kingdom, but they didn't want the king himself I didn't want his message either. And so for those of us who do consider ourselves Christ followers here today, I wanna ask us just to maybe sometime do a bit of a self-audit and ask ourselves this very simple question. Do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Very, very simple question. Because maybe some of us have, have forgotten our first love and more often than not, we act like the crowds here. We just come to Jesus to get things from him at the neglect of him himself and the things he might be saying to us. Lastly, here in the crowd, <clears throat> we find out that there are also demons in the crowd. So these are individuals who've been possessed by evil spirits. And I wanna say, we still believe that demons exist today. We still believe that demons are active today. And what you'll see here in Mark is that he, he distinguishes quite clearly between um, sickness and demonic possession. He doesn't confuse the two. And, and it's, it's good for us to recognize this because sometimes something might simply be a sickness or an illness, but on the other hand, sometimes there actually might be something um, more spiritual and more demonic going on. And we don't wanna be the people, especially in our modern sort of secular age, that simply dismiss the demonic and dismiss the supernatural. But obviously on the other extreme, we don't wanna be people who, who uh, think that every time someone's sick, oh, it must be direct demon activity. Now we wanna get the balance right like Mark does here, but what I wanna draw our attention to here and what's very interesting to note is that the first people to identify Jesus correctly in the gospel of Mark as the son of God are the demons. It's the demons, okay? The fringe crowd at this point doesn't know his true identity. Uh, The disciples at this point, his his close followers, they don't know his true identity. The first half of the gospel of Mark is the disciples gradually figuring out who Jesus is and having it revealed to them. But the demons here, they just, they fall down in a posture of submission and they say, you are the son of God. And immediately what, what Jesus does is he just shuts them up. He tells them to be quiet. There's a whole bunch of reasons that Jesus does this, but here's a few. Um, He does it because he doesn't want word of of this knowledge to spread because that's just gonna make the crowds grow more. It's gonna make the opposition grow more. And it's actually gonna get in the way of Jesus being able to go about getting on with his mission right now. And secondly, Jesus doesn't want to actually draw attention too much uh, to the demons and sort of give them uh, a legitimacy in this moment. And, And they're probably in many ways trying to challenge Jesus. And so he just doesn't wanna do that. But we see here again that the interesting fact that you can, <clears throat> you can know exactly who Jesus is, and you can know all there is to know about Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you love him, and that doesn't mean that you worship him. And there is a massive difference between that. And so, I want to just ask us that question again: Is do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Before we move on, I do wanna just take a gap to uh, speak directly to any of you who at this point wouldn't consider yourself Christ followers. And maybe you feel right now that maybe you're just on the outside and you can see the crowd and you can see the buzz around Jesus. And there is a buzz around Jesus. There's a massive buzz in history around Jesus. More books have been written about him. More songs have been sung to him than anyone else in history. There's definitely, definitely a big buzz. And I'd love to just, graciously, humbly ask you this question. Are you really able to ignore him or avoid him? Are you really able to do that? And I wanna invite you right now today as you listen to this message to maybe just take a step into the crowd. Take a step into the crowd and get a bit of proximity and, and maybe just see a little bit about who Jesus is. Maybe hear a little bit about what Jesus might be saying to you today. That's the invitation to you as we carry on. So back to the story. The crowds have multiplied. They're, they're getting out of hand. There's, there's too many people. There's too many needs. Um, Jesus is wanting to reach an entire nation. And so he needs to multiply the mission. He needs to multiply the movement. And that's exactly what he, he does next here. As we look at now the call from Jesus, the call from Jesus. <clears throat> so verse 13, he went up onto the mountain And called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So out of a larger group of followers now, Jesus handpicks twelve. And he he calls them for for two main purposes, okay? The the first is that they might be with him. That's what Mark tells us, that they might be with him. And this speaks of relationship, okay? It speaks of intimacy and companionship. Jesus is not some sort of far-off guru, okay? They were friends. Jesus enjoyed their company. Jesus today still enjoys people's company. And what this reminds me of is a passage in Acts chapter 4. And it says, When the authorities saw the boldness of Peter and John, so it's two of these 12 that were called, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's the language. So the intimacy and their companionship with Jesus, that provided the basis for their proclamation, it provided the basis for their power, and and you and I simply can't escape this. Okay, we cannot bypass this, this is literally the foundation of what it means to be a Christian, to be in relationship with Jesus. We need to be with Jesus. We need to spend time with him. That's how we deal with everything that comes against us in the world. Friends, this is how we're going to deal with everything that is is coming against us now in this season. And it's how we're going to be able to tell people about Jesus out of our friendship and relationship with him. Now, on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we, we enter a relationship in, with, with Jesus by doing exactly what He said, exactly what He proclaimed, by repentance and faith in Him, by repenting and believing the good news. Okay, And what that looks like is acknowledging the fact that, that we are sinners, that we've gone our own way, that we've, that we've ignored and rejected God in, in either conscious or unconscious rebellion, but that Jesus has come, that Jesus came in love. Jesus came and he went to the cross and on the cross, he paid the penalty that that we needed to pay. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. And now the debt that he's paid, that can actually be credited to our account in a sense by, by us placing our faith and our trust in Jesus. By trusting in him as savior and Lord, he removes our sin, he wipes our slate clean. We can be declared not guilty and relationship with God can be restored. So that's how we enter relationship with him and start following him. So relationship is one thing. It's the one reason that Jesus called them to himself. But this also speaks of training, okay? The the 12 learned uh, in the the intimate companionship with God um, all the tricks of the trade in a sense. And we see here that Jesus, he trains the called. He doesn't call those who are already trained. And we'll we'll soon learn when we look at the, the list of people that Jesus chose, he didn't pick the already trained or the already qualified. He didn't draw his 12 from the sort of equivalent of the local seminary at the time. No, it says that he chose those whom he desired. And by being with him, he would train them on the job. Okay, so his character was gonna rub off on them as they became more like him. He was going to teach them and train them exactly to do the things that he was doing. And I think it's a very cool reminder for, for all of us right now to remember that as we're multiplying the mission, as we are um, planting churches and multiplying ministries and uh, multiplying and planting home groups, uh, we don't need to be people who are, who are looking for those who are super qualified or, or super trained. No, we just need to look for the people that God is calling, Okay and then bring them in and train them and equip them on the way. That's exactly how Jesus operates. So he called them that they might be with him and then also that, that he might send them out on mission, that, he might be, that they might be with him and that he might send them out on mission, And the word apostle means sent one. That's literally what the Greek word means. And the apostles here, uh, these 12 in the first century, they, they, they are unique in a sense. They are wh- what we call the capital A apostles. Okay, these guys wrote scripture. Uh, these guys were the foundation of the church, unrepeatable kind of stuff. But at the same time, every single Christ follower is a sent one every single Christ follower is a sent one. We've all been called by Jesus to be those who are telling people about what Jesus has done and to be those people who are going out and doing acts of compassion and mercy like Jesus. We've all been tasked and commissioned with making disciples of Jesus and um, making the, the invisible kingdom of God visible to the world around us. We've all been tasked with these things. And so the call from Jesus is actually a multifaceted call. On the one hand, it's a call to come, come and see, come and hang out, come and learn, come and be trained. And then at the same time, it's a call to go, go and tell people the good news, go and uh, do the works that I've prepared for you. And also it's even a call to go and die in many ways. It's a call for us to, to metaphorically die to ourselves every single day. And, and maybe even, I don't wanna exclude this, maybe even like 10 out of the 12 apostles maybe even give our lives physically for the cause of Christ. It's a call to go. It's a radical call. And maybe another way that we could say all of this or sum up what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus is to say this, that a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus is, is someone who gives themselves to three things. We give ourselves to three things, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. These three things, in many ways, I think, encapsulate what Jesus um, is saying here in his call. And we're going to see all of this stuff play out in the lives of the disciples as we keep going through the book of Mark. And this is still the call for us today. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. Friends, so much has changed in in our world right now. The call of Jesus has not changed. This has not changed. It's an invitation to, to all of us. And so for those of us who already do right now consider ourselves Christ followers, and I wanna ask us, are we aligning our lives in, in order for this to happen? So are we actually in proximity to Jesus? Have we made a plan to get into proximity with Jesus, to to get a glimpse into what he's like and what his life actually looks like? Have we made plans? Have we set aside time to, to spend time with him, asking him questions? Okay, do we know, are we hearing from him, finding out what he expects of us and what he wants from us and for us? That's the question that I wanna ask us. And, and right now, this might look very different in this season, okay? I know we've all got very different capacities and different rhythms right now. But also there, there might actually be a, a very unique opportunity in this season, season to actually to rewire, rework, get the rhythms of our lives realigned with the call of Jesus. And I wanna just encourage all of us right now to, to think about how we can start doing that. Lastly, let's just quickly explore the list of names that Mark records here for us as we look at the close community of Jesus, the close community of Jesus. So verse 16, he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boaneges, that is sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Altheus, And Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, we don't have time to to go into great detail here, but but here's some of the highlights about the 12 apostles. The 12 were nobodies. They were basically nobodies. To to multiply his movement to the ends of the earth, Jesus basically picks 12 obscure dudes. He doesn't pick governors, he doesn't pick the high priests, he doesn't pick uh, army generals. And just just think of the massive impact that these 12 people have had across history. Okay, think of the impact of Christianity right now across time and across people groups. Right now on on any given Sunday, about 2 billion people currently are worshiping Jesus as Lord and proclaiming that his kingdom is coming. Who would have thought that 12 nobodies would ever have achieved that? And the birth of Jesus himself is... obscure and strange and unglamorous and here in the store we've got on this mountainside a, a ragtag bunch of people called by this carpenter in a, in a backwater province of a small nation in the Middle East and yet it works because it's God's plan. And so firstly these guys were, these guys were nobodies. Secondly They were an extremely diverse group, okay? These guys were radically different different from each other. There were people on this team with with extremely opposing backgrounds that were bound to clash. And so here's an example. You've got Matthew, okay? Who was a tax collector who joined Jesus in the last chapter. And this guy was working with the Romans who were the the occupying force in Jerusalem at this point. He was working uh, with them and for them. He was taxing his own Jewish people and then he was taking a cut of those taxes for himself. So that's Matthew. On the same team, you have Simon the Zealot. This guy is a, a radically political, religious, Jewish nationalist who absolutely hates the Roman occupation, most likely involved in violent attempts to overthrow them. Okay, what you might be picking up here is that there was probably some hint of relational strain on this team in the early days. I, I don't think uh, team chemistry was, was very high up on Jesus's agenda here. These guys were not cut from the same cloth. They didn't like the same music. They didn't support the same sports teams. They didn't vote for the same parties. They didn't send their kids to the same school. They were vastly, vastly different. And I think we too need to be careful to simply not gather together um, people who just gel or people who just get on or have the same hobbies. That's not the church that Jesus was building then. It's not the church that Jesus is building today. It's a beautiful mixture of an extremely diverse bunch of people. And so the 12 were, were nobodies. They were a diverse group. And lastly, the 12 seemed unqualified. The 12 seemed unqualified. Okay? Based on their obscurity and their diversity, any sort of expert at the time would have said, these aren't the people who are ever going to turn human history upside down. And uh, allow me to land by reading to you what, what I think is a rather humorous uh, and fictional letter from the Jordan Management Consultants, the Jordan Management Consultants, to Jesus, son of Joseph. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of undertaking you're about to embark on. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership whatsoever. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude which could undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has actually been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Bureau Association. James, the son of Altheus and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and and they have both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability, of resourcefulness. He he meets people well. He's got a keen business mind. He's got contacts in high places. He's highly motivated. He's ambitious. He's responsible. And so we therefore recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. So we wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Friends, Judas is, is at the bottom of the list there. So close in proximity to Jesus, so qualified in, in many ways, and yet he's, he's completely lost. He doesn't love Jesus at all. And at the top of the list, we've got Simon. And he's a beautiful reminder that someone who was a commoner, someone who was uneducated, who was hot-headed, who was always putting his foot in his mouth, Simon is, is renamed by Jesus as Peter, the rock on which Christ would build his church. It's a beautiful, beautiful reminder to all of us. And so whoever you are, wherever you come from today, whatever your background might be, the rich, the poor, the uneducated, the educated, the simple, the brilliant, the funny, the boring, the fiery, the timid, the weak and the strong, the young and the old, the black and the white, the male and the female, the downcast, the downtrodden, the dirty, those of you who grew up growing to church and those of you whose first time in a church is when you hopped online today. The invitation for you today is to either start following Jesus or to continue to follow Jesus. The people of Jesus are not exclusive. We're not a a bunch of winners. All who trust in Jesus, all who trust in Jesus are welcomed in. And so don't let your past stop you. God's not gonna leave you the same. He's gonna shape you and he's gonna mold you. He's gonna call you to to deny yourself and, and take up your cross and follow him. He's gonna send you out on his purposes. He's certainly not gonna leave you the same, that's for sure, but... I want you to have no doubt of this today that if Jesus called such a, a crazy, weird, diverse group as this, he is calling you as well. That's the message of Jesus for us today. I'm gonna pray for us now as I close, but before I do, I just wanna remind you that next week we're gonna continue going in the gospel of Mark. We're gonna continue to explore what it looks like to be this sort of countercultural family of Jesus and how Mark is gonna continue to unpack that for us. So please do join us next week. But let me just pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that right now, God, your spirit is speaking to a multitude of people. Many of us who love you, who worship you, who, who call you Lord, who call you Savior. God, I pray that you would just help us in this time to, to audit our lives, to, to, to ask ourselves the questions of do we love you? Do we love you like we used to? Do we love you like we shouldn't? And are we aligning our lives around these things of, of being with you and, and becoming like you and, and doing what you did? God, remind us right now, those of us who maybe sometimes, uh, whatever, don't feel like they're qualified right now, recognize that no one's qualified It's Jesus that qualifies every single human being. And God, I pray for anyone right now who's been listening to this, who when they clicked play earlier, did not consider themselves a Christ follower, but as they've heard the message of Jesus, they've heard the call from Jesus, and right now, they feel like they need to respond in in, in faith and repentance to you. God, I pray right now that you would hear them as they do that. And I wanna invite you, if that is you, do that right now. Repent and turn to Jesus and trust in Him for the first time and begin this new journey of of being with Him and becoming like Him and doing what He did. Jesus, we we thank You for Your Word and we, we thank You for today. Amen.